Thank you for stopping by at the Movie Marquee. Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. Quiet on set. Places, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the Movie Marquee. Today is going to be the director's spotlight on Mr. Martin Scorsese. With me, as always, is Ken. Yo. And Ted. Hello, everybody. And welcome, everybody. My name's Eric, and we are going to be reviewing Martin Scorsese. We're going to be having uh, four movies coming up later on, but today we are going to be doing our director spotlight on Mr. Martin Scorsese himself. Mr. New York, as I like to call him, because it, it doesn't get any uh, more hardcore than New York than does Martin Scorsese. Would you agree, boys? It's very true. Very, yeah, very when, true. When Frank Sinatra sings New York, it was probably because of Martin Scorsese. He probably has a little something to do with it and vice versa. So He, uh, he was a prophet and saw <laughs> Martin Scorsese coming in the future. He's done a lot for New York as far as putting it on the big screen. Very much so, and that's what we're going to be talking about in a little while here when we look at some of the movies he has done over his career. Mr. Scorsese, of course, born in New York, Flushing, New York, born and raised, pretty much spent his whole life in New York from school all the way up to college. And uh, one of the fun facts I like to, to say about him is that he was uh, part of what they like to call the movie brats of the 1970s. Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg. How about those guys? There's some names to drop. There's actually a really good documentary called Easy Riders Raging Bulls. Very about, cool. About how cinema transformed, starting with Easy Rider in the late 60s all the way through uh, the early 80s with Raging Bull, and how all those series of directors, especially those that you mentioned, and you put Peter Bogdanovich in there as well, they took what was old Hollywood and turned it on its head. They changed it, clearly. and, uh, And ushered in a new, faster, and more artsy style of movie making and really brought that to the forefront. It's an awesome documentary and accompanying book if anybody wants to check that out. I have not had the pleasure of reading or watching that, but I think I definitely will. It's definitely worth your time, especially like we are. We're definitely cinephiles. You're a cinephile. It's one of those ones that you have to watch. There's a lot of really interesting tidbits. And since we're talking about Marty, one of the most interesting things that I always took from that was that in an apartment in Southern California, in one apartment, it was Marty Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas all in the same apartment. That's mind-blowing. How about if, that as a think tank of uh, of ideas, huh? All right. in one bed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know about that, but these are the three, well, definitely two of them. And Lucas changed cinema in a completely different way. But you have two of the people that really have defined what movie making is in the modern era in Scorsese and Spielberg. And Lucas changed the game as far as how marketing and licensing rights. I mean, that's how he made his billions. I mean, Star Wars is insanely successful, but it was because of licensing 
of all of those products that he was able to see that as a cash cow when 20th Century Fox didn't. So there's that portion of it, too. And it's funny because all three of those people, too, are connected through Francis Ford Coppola. And he's kind of like the big brother of the, the Godfather. Of yeah, <laughs> you can say, yeah, the Godfather. The Godfather, if you will. Sure. Yeah, sure. because without the Godfather and Apocalypse Now, we don't get American Graffiti. We don't get Star Wars. We don't get Jaws. We don't get Taxi Driver. We don't get Mean Streets. Without him... And his, you don't get ET, you don't get yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, there's right. so much out there. The success of those two movies, in a sense, and then The Godfather Part Two as well. Without those successes, you would hope that Hollywood would have found Lucas and Spielberg and Scorsese. But who's to say that it would have taken longer for them to get their foot in the door? The success of Coppola and then him starting his own production company with American Zotrope, that opened doors faster to get into uh, quote unquote independent movies made. It is crazy to think about the marketing of George Lucas when it comes to movies. I mean, prior to Star Wars, the only marketing you had was for, you know, children's TV shows, little G.I. Joe, any cowboy shows out there. But Star Wars really just put it on the map. I don't think you can go anywhere practically in the free world, anywhere in the globe Mm -hmm. here. And you say Star Wars, people know what you're talking about. No taxi driver, uh, taxi figurines driver? or anything like that. You know, <laughs> no, that. no, probably not. But even at that time that Star Wars took off, even Disney really hadn't cashed in on the licensing of a lot of their marketable films. Marketable, yeah, marketable films. Things, their characters and stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, of course, you had Mickey and Minnie and stuff like that. Probably the biggest that Disney would have put out to that point would have been the Davy Crockett stuff from the nineteen fifties. Well, where just they think pl- about the 1980s, the video rights alone for Disney just oh, right. exploded on the VHS market. Because they had notoriously kept all of the, those movies in the Disney in the vault. vault. <laughs> in right. the Disney vault, yes. Yeah, every right. 10 years they're like, hey, it's your time. You have limited time to get this movie and soon it'll be gone. Soon right. it'll be gone. Never to appear again. You hit the nail on the head, Eric. G.I. Joe and stuff like that. And you had TV shows that created lunch um, boxes action, and stuff like figures. that yeah right it was like the six million dollar man mm-hmm. and of course you had the cartoons like aquaman and the comic book type of people but it wasn't like movies no. but now movies they get action figures and it's all you can get stuff for all of that and that's because of lucas in the past 40 years i can't think of three people that have had more influence on modern cinema and they're all unique in their own way. They all have separate things that they really bring to the table. I mean, right. Scorsese is known for his dialogue and his mafia type of movies. Spielberg is more of a kind of a mix of all that stuff where Lucas is like mainly sci-fi. Lucas brought a different way of seeing films as far as visually. He has his own production company. Was it Lucas Films? Yeah, Lucas Limited. Yeah, yeah and then Industrial Limited. Light and Magic and Pixar. Right, but Scorsese is more about putting the pure story together, I think, more than the other two, even though I think Spielberg, to me, is probably, if not the greatest, he's top three of all time. When you're talking about Francis Ford Coppola, about giving, you know, financing and giving these guys a chance, these same three guys that you guys are talking about do the same thing now. If we don't have Spielberg, we don't have Back to the Future. Back right. to the Future was Robert mainly Zemeckis. because, right, because Spielberg took chances 
with up and comers, just like Francis Ford Coppola did. And yeah. I think they see and they try to pay that back to other directors and other people to give them a chance. That's pretty cool of them. Yeah, you're exactly right. And Marty has been a teacher at NYU Film School. from there. Yeah. Great job from NYU. And then he went to, I believe, Tisch School of Arts. And uh, when I think of Martin Scorsese, I think about his upbringing. He went to a private all-boys Catholic school. Very common in New York. Yes. And that, and we see in his films, religion plays a big part in a lot of his films. He was actually studying to become a priest, and then he decided to that that wasn't the route that he wanted to go. And we're very lucky I, uh, for that as well. We're uh, very thankful that <laughs> very that thankful. Was, yeah. that's how that went. I heard that um, he, uh, I don't know if he flunked out or he failed out, and that might be because his mind wasn't on it. Most likely. In interviews, he's kind of alluded to some similar to that. But when he's taught at NYU, you were talking about people that they've given back to. Two of Marty's famous students from NYU the first would have been Oliver Stone in 1987. Yeah, some guy named Oliver Stone. Sure. Yeah, just yeah. a small guy, you know. Right, right. And then, of course, Spike Lee. And you can really tell, especially in Spike Lee, you can see the Marty influences through his own life his, stories. And, of course, Spike is a cinephile as well, and he takes a lot from everybody. But you can tell the influence, especially on Do the Right Thing. There's some definite Marty Scorsese moments in that movie. It's not just directors. It's it's how he works with his actors. I mean, he gives to his actors. I was just watching A Bronx Tale earlier today, actually, and thinking of Martin Scorsese, because it's very Martin Scorsese-like film that Robert De Niro actually directs. Mm-hmm. But you can see the influence of Martin Scorsese on Robert De Niro in that film. It's a very good film. I'm surprised Robert De Niro didn't do more directing because I felt like he did a very good job in that film. I mean, we're going to talk about people like Harvey Keitel, the frequent collaborations with Harvey Keitel to the point where you even use him in The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> No, he develops a following. He's very loyal to, of course, everybody knows about him and De Niro, especially because of the heights that they went to. But in modern times, if you look at Leonardo DiCaprio, he made Leonardo DiCaprio into the great actor that he is now. And that's been a journey for me personally, because I didn't think that he was that good of an actor. But then he hooked up with Marty in The A, starting with The Aviator. He's blossomed into one of the best actors in Hollywood now. Were you tainted by uh, Titanic? Were you? <laughs> well, it's not so much Titanic. It was, he started off so high with What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and then it was a, a steady decline. And probably the one that hurt my opinion of him the most was Man in the Iron Mask. He couldn't hold his own against those scene chewers. When you have Malkovich, Depardieu, and Gabriel Byrne, and Jeremy Irons, I mean, there's a lot of screen there to be chewed with those actors, but he fell woefully short. I think The Beach also didn't help, oh, at least the, for me. Movies. It's, a, it's a bad choice after Titanic, which he might have already been on slate for. Besides Man in the Iron Mask, I do think I see a progression. He works with De Niro before. He's always had the acting chops, but I think he needed a director to take him under his wing. And I think you're right, Ted, by The Man in the Iron Mask. After seeing that film, he needed somebody to come along mm-hmm. and show him where his strengths lie. Right. Because it, it wasn't there. It's kind of funny because he is kind of a little bit of a pretty boy. 
I think he's a good looking guy. But at the same time, he, he doesn't come off as being very leading man ish qualities, especially when we see him in the man in the iron mask. He's very dull. He's extremely dull. Marty really showed him how to become a leading man. Two of the movies that we'll be covering really show his progression as far as an actor, which we're doing the departed and then the Wolf of wall street. When he won the best actor award for the revenant, one of the first people he thanked was Martin Scorsese. As he should have. Let's do a quick little wrap here of Martin's movies over the last 50 years, because it's a who's who of some of the greatest films of the last 50 years here. I love to rap, so let's rap. I love to rap. Let's, let's start off with his first full-length feature out of college, full-length movie starring Harvey Keitel. Who's that knocking at my door? It's not the Rod Stewart story, but it's a very, very good movie. Have you guys seen it? Nope. Okay. That's one I haven't seen, though. It's on my list. I do own a copy of it now, and I do plan on watching that in the near future. Uh, He followed that one up with a movie called Boxcar Bertha, which is uh, a little bit of a depressing flick. It's an interesting one. Have you guys seen that one? No, I've not seen that either. (laughs) All right. Well, that's okay. That's all right, because the movie that put him on the map was 1973's Mean Streets, which I know we've all seen that one. Yes. I think that would put Harvey Keitel on the map as well. And then uh, followed that one up with Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which was a uh, predecessor to the TV show Alice, believe it or not. Uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore with Chris Christopherson, a little bit more darker of a movie than, of course, the fun-loving 70s sitcom Alice. Well, we talked about it's very similar to how the MASH movie and the MASH TV show is. Exactly. Not the same thing. No. So that means I would probably like Alice Doesn't Live Here more. Shut up, Ted. Mash the TV show is the greatest thing ever. No. Well, let me ask you, Ted. Do you like Alice the TV show? Not really. Then you will like the movie. Cool. Completely different. Because I love the movie Mash. Yes. And I'm not a fan of the the TV show. The TV show, it mirrors it slightly, but it's not like a word. Mash, you can really tell that the movie is related to the TV show and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But this one, you kind of go a little bit deeper into a dive to look at and go, oh, yeah, okay, now I see it. In the movie, she doesn't say kiss my grits. There is no... Kissing of grits. There are no other waitresses. She's the only waitress in there. It's a different movie. No flow? No Mel. No No flow. Nope. It's not a comedy. And I use that word loosely with Alice. It's uh, it's not a sitcom. It's a little bit of a deep dive there. It's kind of a a drama. I mean, Chris Christopherson's really good in it, too. So I really like him. No, he's he's great in that. And this this leads us to the coup d'etat, in my opinion, the one we're going to be reviewing first, 1976's Taxi Driver. Yes. Uh, we're looking forward to looking at that one, folks. It's one of my all-time favorites. Sorry to tip my hat there, but it's a great movie, and we're really looking forward to talking about this one. It's a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. Follows up uh, 1978, one of the great documentaries, The Last Waltz, featuring the band, uh, an incredible incredible and i use that word three times incredible documentary of a great rock band and the who's who of 1978 is in this documentary it's incredible folks check it out if you haven't and i definitely recommend that one in 1080p in blu-ray it's incredible the music the audio the video it is just a rock opera words can't hardly describe it i'm a huge fan of the band it really is something to behold. It shows Marty's scope. He can bring that artistic eye to a concert movie, essentially. He finds that again later with the Stones. 
but with the last waltz i mean you get the whole feeling of that band and what they do and then of course all of the special guests that come in through as well it it tells a story without being heavy-handed just amazing it's a great way of describing it i can't disagree with that and then we go into 1980s raging bull an incredible boxing movie i know you guys Mm. are big boxing fans Another one of my favorite movies. Sure, sure. So, so Eric, there was a a film that he did in 77 called New York, New York. Yes, there was. actually Mm -hmm. is Robert De Niro playing a saxophonist. Hmm. Yeah, Liza Minnelli's in it. Didn't do too well. I have not seen it, but I haven't heard anything really, really crazy about it. And I've never really seen uh, Martin Scorsese talk a lot about it. I didn't hear about it until I had to look up the filmography and then... I was like, who's in that? Because we it's were talking not about one how- of his bigger movies. But I mean, I yeah. love Liza Minnelli. I'm a big Liza Minnelli fan when it comes to her acting. I've seen bits and pieces of this movie. I've never seen it all the way through. From what I understand, it never hit the mark. Maybe I got to sit down and watch one of these things. If you can find it. Uh, you got to buy it somewhere. That's why I didn't bring it up because it wasn't really part of the big players. I'm really going with the big ones that really show his uh, his movies and his scope and really his directorial sure. style. And here. The, and the only reason why I brought it up was because of the Robin De Niro connection. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a good point because De Niro, it's one of the early ones. I think it is the first, well, second one besides Taxi Driver. It's right after Taxi Driver, right? Right yes. after, yeah, one year after. So you can definitely see, as we talked about earlier, the collaboration with Robert De Niro. I mean, he's in a bunch mm-hmm. of movies down the road. Actually, it's four movies in a row. Yeah, Taxi Driver, New York, New York, Raging Bull, and then The King, King of Comedy. Comedy. 1982, yeah. which was unfortunately a bomb in the box office. It is, but it's found life. Later life, Later yeah. Here, especially recently, because Todd Phillips, the director of Joker with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, he takes heavily from the late 70s, early 80s Marty Scorsese movies, uh, Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy being two of them. That They're undeniable in their influence on, on the movie Joker. While it, it was a, a failure then, it's found life as something people are going back to look at again. I think it's still a hard watch. It depends on what you're looking for in a movie, which I've watched it I... before and I wasn't a big fan i think people were going in thinking it was going to be a comedy and Mm -hmm. it is a comedy in a way but it's also a social satire and that really comes out when you look at the influence on a movie like joker there's more to the movie than it wasn't a fun happy time at the movie theater I think if you're going to go out there and watch Joker or if you have seen Joker, which is also a great movie in itself, you're right. The similarities are uncanny. It's clearly an influence on this movie. And uh, I would probably go out and and watch this one as well, too, kind of like a back-to-back thing. You know, the next film that he does, and I don't know if this was on your list because you're looking at the big-time films, but I actually enjoyed After Hours, um, which is a 1985 film starring uh, Rosanna Arquette. And Griffin and Dunn, yeah. Griffin Dunn. Nothing goes right for Griffin Dunn in that movie. So <laughs> Nothing goes right for Griffin Dunn in any of his movies. You ever notice that? <laughs> this is true. I mean, Who's that at... girl with Madonna? I mean, the guy always plays like a bumbling idiot, it just seems like. I don't oh, yeah. know. You got the American Werewolf in London where he plays his Well, that's that, true. That dies yeah. right off the bat. Right, bat. right. <laughs> right. But he's a funny guy. He's an enjoyable actor. I, I wish he would have put out more movies. And that's a nice little dark romantic comedy. Yeah, it was definitely one of those films that I enjoyed watching on cable when it was out. 
All right. Well, that was 85. That was After Hours. And that rolls in the second movie that we are going to be reviewing, The Color of Money. Show me the money. Show me the money. Color of money. Got to uh, tune in for that one to hear our critiques of that movie. Do we like it? Do we hate it? Do we love it? I guess you're going to have to tune in and find out. Of course, Paul Newman and Tom Cruise are in that one. If you like those guys, if you like movies about pool, why not? It's got a great soundtrack. I think we're going to have some fun with that one. So look forward to that one in the near future. Just right off the bat, just saying, looking at all the movies that we just looked at, is just a departure from everything he's done up to this time as far as what actors he uses, what screenwriters he uses. It's a different take. And I think after Color Money, he goes back to his group. Yeah, you got a young Tom Cruise, obviously, really young Tom Cruise there. And you have Paul Newman towards the end of his career. And of course, we can talk about, is it a sequel movie or is it not a sequel movie? That's going to be one of our uh, discussions when we talk about is The Color Money. Is it a tumor or is it not a tumor? That's right. One thing with The Color Money that he really did, and he did this along with Robbie Robertson, who was part of the band. They were roommates at the time. But this is where he really starts to play with the music being an influence on how the movie progresses, how the songs fit with the plot. He really did a magnificent job with the score in Raging Bull, but it's a classical score. Whereas with The Color of Money, he starts to find that rock and roll type of vibe. And there's a couple of movies coming up that where the soundtrack is completely indicative of what the mood of the movie is after the color of money you definitely see the use of more classic rock more like the last temptation of christ well yeah yeah more more music (laughs) yeah yeah that's the next movie it's (laughs) that's the next one you're not getting your stones in that one but jesus christ superstar that was a passion project for him. This was a movie that he wanted to make, and essentially because of the color of money and the success of that movie, he was able to go in the more artistic direction for his next movie, and that was The Last Temptation of Christ, which is, in my opinion, it's a magnificent movie. William Defoe is incredible in that. Oh, William Defoe is amazing in that movie. He plays the part tremendously well. It's extremely controversial, Mm -hmm. but in the right types of way. And I think this is part of where, too, where we were talking about Lucas and Spielberg and Scorsese, those three guys, one of their biggest influences was Stanley Kubrick. You see kind of something similar to something that he would have done with The Last Temptation of Christ. I could see Kubrick influences in that movie. All right, so that rolls into, let's go uh, with some of my favorite mob movies here. Now we're getting into some (laughs) of the real Scorsese stuff that people love. The Age of Innocence? That's coming up, no. (laughs) It's not a bad movie, whatever. All right, you get what you get with Winona Ryder. But uh, Goodfellas, 1990, everyone loves Goodfellas. The debate is out there between The Godfather and Goodfellas, which is the best mob movie. Come on, seriously? I know. That's a tough decision for me. I adore Goodfellas from beginning to end. There isn't one scene in Goodfellas that I would take out. Words can hardly describe how I feel about Goodfellas. Well, eventually we plan on doing uh, our mob movies, and hopefully that'll be one of the mob movies. I had just mentioned earlier about how the soundtrack fits 
the movie. Very much. And Goodfellas is perfect example of this, where each of the three sections of the movie, you can tell what the mood of the movie is by what music is playing. When it's in the 50s and the early 60s, it's the wall of sound, a Motown stuff from Phil Spector and those artists. And then it moves into the late 60s. That's when it gets a little more serious in the classic rock and a little bit of the harder stuff like Cream starts to come in. And of course, that ends with the last two minutes of Layla on the map, the Layla reprise. It goes then into that 70s where he brings the stones out. And it's not the stones that you think. It's that frenetic kind of discord thing that the stones did in the late 70s and early 80s. And you could tell things are really going downhill for the characters in the show. It's amazing how he does that with the music in that movie. Let's roll a little farther down the road here to 1991's Cape Fear with Nick Nolte. I like Nick Nolte in this movie. I know you guys aren't crazy about him, but I think it's a pretty cool uh, thriller movie. A little different than what he's done in the past. Age of Innocence in 1993. Eh, It's kind of a... It's very different. It's a 19th century high society film. Not as typical. Daniel Day-Lewis is in it, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Winona Ryder's in it. It's definitely a period piece. If you don't like those type of movies... You Michelle are not going to like this one. Yeah, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. It's a good movie. I, I would recommend the it. The problem you... was there was also another movie kind of like this, I think, with John Malkovich and yeah. Glenn Close. It was yeah. kind of very similar yeah. to this movie. Rolling into 95, Casino, another great mob movie. Awesome yeah. movie. I know. Yeah. I, I think it's a great one. It's here and there, but people will appreciate it. It's the um, worst of the mob movies, in my opinion. Uh, little obscure one here from 99, uh, Bringing Out the Dead. It's actually one of my favorite ones, uh, Nicolas Cage, and I'm not a real big Nick Cage fan. But Bring out your dad. It's a pretty cool movie. If you guys haven't uh, seen it, definitely check it out. It's uh, kind of unique. It's kind of updated Taxi Driver kind of. A little bit, it. a little bit. I think you guys will dig it. It's it's pretty cool. Way out there. Way out there. Going up the road here to 2002. One of the movies I debated on picking because it's incredible. Gangs in New York. I don't think any of us could say anything bad about Gangs of New York. Should have won yeah. the Oscar. Should have won the Oscar. We'll leave it at yeah, that. It should have sure. won the Oscar. It is an incredible movie. Now we're rolling into our good friend Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, The Aviator in 2004, the start Love of the, Di- the DiCaprio era. It's not too bad. It's pretty Actually, cool. Gangs of New York is the start of the that's true i'm sorry you're right gangs of new york has started DiCaprio. then it follows with the aviator then we're going into 2006 the academy award winning one he finally got that he should got uh, many many years earlier for the departed which we will be reviewing as our third movie uh so stay tuned for that one and then we're going in that that was the one that he won the academy award for it was a gimme just another nail in the coffin of the academy of major mistakes that they've made throughout the years. We'll definitely go into more detail about that when we review The Departed because there's a whole section on that one. And then the fourth one here, Shutter Island from 2010. Another underrated. DiCaprio film. It is underrated, but it's it's a pretty cool film. Documentary, Living in the Material World, George Harrison, I've not mm-hmm. seen yet. It's very good. This movie's a little out there. Uh, Hugo? Anyone seen Hugo? Yeah. That's one yeah. that I haven't seen of the more modern. I haven't seen it either. Christopher Lee's in it. I haven't heard really anything good or bad about it, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a Scorsese film. The only thing that I heard Scorsese say about that was that he wanted to make a movie that is, he had a little kid at the time 
he wanted her to be able to see a movie that he directed. It's amazing. And it did get uh, Love and Academy Award nominations. Yeah. Next movie in the series here is the fourth and final one. We're going to be reviewing The Wolf of Wall Street from 2013. That's a... (laughs) That's a, a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. That's a great the Wolf way to of put Skin it. Street. We are going to have some fun with this one, folks. And there will be a, probably a parental advisory on this one. Uh, or as the sports pope likes uh, to say, the werewolf of Wall Street. That's right. It's good. That's a great one. One of my favorite TV series only lasted a season. Mick Jagger helped uh, do some work on this one. Vinyl. You guys seen Vinyl? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I love it. It is it incredible. Was good. I'm sad it only went one season. It was yeah. really incredible. It had more story to tell. Oh, much more. Rolling Thunder Review, that's the Stones documentary? Yes. Have not seen that, but it's on my list. And then 2019, let's talk about it. The Irishman, all three hours of it. Incredible movie. And folks, as we all say, watch this movie in its entirety. Do not break it up into pieces. Yeah. Just sit down and watch the movie all the way through. You will thank us and you will appreciate it a lot more. Everyone I've talked to that has seen this movie in pieces, they're like, eh, you know, it wasn't that great. Everyone who's watched it all the way through says it's incredible. You have to go on the journey. It's a journey. You have to stick with it. I know it's long, but it's worth the journey to just stick with it and watch it all the way through. Take a sick day. Take a sick day and watch it. One of the things from his filmography there, he was also the driving force behind Boardwalk Empire. Yes. The great did one uh, episode HBO or two show. episodes of that. Yeah. That's a good point. That was a great series in itself, too. Any final thoughts on this one before we, we roll into uh, Taxi Driver down the road? I would say as far as Scorsese goes, he listed some of his favorite movies of all time. And Ted was mentioning Stanley Kubrick, 2001 Space Odyssey is one of his favorites of all time. Citizen Kane, The Searchers, Vertigo. One thing we haven't said is Martin Scorsese loves movies. Movies. Yes. He loves all kinds of movies. And loves he, talking about movies. Yes. In fact, <laughs> he had joined Roger Ebert on at the movies after Gene Siskel had died. And they went and they reviewed like 10 movies that Scorsese wanted to do with Ebert. And that shows you that he doesn't care about the critics or anything like that. He cares about the movies and how they're made. And he draws strength from all these different period pieces. And we talked about the music and he's not afraid to try something different. As we just talked about Hugo, that was something different. After Hours was something different. He's not afraid to try something that he hadn't done before. I think that's what separates Martin Scorsese from the second tier is that he is a risk taker, as we'll talk about in Taxi Driver, because that was a big risk. He's incredible in the sense that he's a fanboy who loves to make movies. He used his fame to take chances and not to just make another safe movie. I completely wholeheartedly agree with you, Ken. That's awesome. I think we can all agree that he is one of the great directors of the last 50 years and probably a top 10 guy of all time, maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. My final thing is this is one of the big boys. He's at the big boy table. He sits among the giants. And there's a reason why. And Ken brought up a great point. He didn't sit on his laurels. He went out after he made a successful, financially successful movie. He went out and he did do something different. He used that success to enhance his own ability. And he is. He's a fan. He loves movies. You can tell that when he makes a movie. 
when you talk about the greats and those who sit at that table, they are of the highest order of men who have loved movies. On top of that, with the loving of the movies, the way he gives back, we talked about it earlier with actors and other directors, but he's also part of the Film Foundation, which stored 800 movies. Yeah, um, He's also part of the World Cinema Project, and he's also part of the African Film Heritage Project. Yeah. So he is a man who definitely gives back to the film industry, and not just by making great films. He puts his money where his mouth is. Yeah, that's All right. Well, that's all the time we have uh, for our spotlight on Martin Scorsese. Stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be reviewing the 1976 classic Taxi Driver. As always, thanks for tuning in, folks. And we will see you at the movies. See you at the movies. See you next time at the movie marquee.